Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM and welcome to those listening via 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. A big thanks to Jan and Tuesday Home Time for the past two hours. It's just on 6.03 and you're here with Beth King and Katia Lalo. Last week, the Victorian Legislative Council passed the Victims and Other Legislation Amendment Bill 2018, originally proposed by Greens MP Nina Springle. This bill, among other things, expunges criminal records given to members of the stolen generations after they were forcibly removed from their families as children. The bill inserts a new Chapter 7A into the Children, Youth and Families Act with the title Relevant Historical Care and Protection Orders. This new chapter begins with a statement of recognition which reads, Historically, the child welfare and criminal justice systems in Victoria were not clearly differentiated. As a result, children often experienced historical care and protection applications made by the state as criminal proceedings, and care and protection orders made by the courts were recorded by the state on criminal records. The recording of relevant historical care and protection orders on criminal records occurred in cases where the child had not committed a crime and had not been convicted or found guilty of a criminal offence, and in many instances before the child had reached the age of criminal responsibility. In many cases, crimes were committed against a child and instead of the perpetrator being held to account, the child was subject to a historical care and protection order despite the child not having committed any crime. This has led to adverse lifelong consequences for many of those children. The Parliament recognises that Aboriginal children were disproportionately impacted by historical state welfare policies. As a result, Aboriginal children were also disproportionately affected by recording practices of the state. Tonight we talk with Mina Singh, Director of Legal and Client Services at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, about this important legal milestone. We also discuss Val's key asks for the upcoming 2018 state election and revisit the government's troubling proposed anti-association laws in relation to their impact on Aboriginal people, especially Aboriginal children and young people. Welcome, Mina. Thanks for having me. Um, I just thought to start, maybe if you could just tell us a bit about Val's and the work that you do. Yeah, so um, Val's has been in existence since... Uh, 1972, incorporated in 1975, so it's a very old organisation. It's actually got a history longer than Victoria Legal Aid. And it was an organisation that was established um, through very meagre resources, basically to fight um, 
over-representation of Aboriginal people um, in the criminal justice system, something we're still fighting today. Um, so I think originally it was started with um, a vo with volunteer lawyers and people from the Aboriginal community working together to think how can we actually start addressing this. Um, what we've got today as an organisation is... Um, a service that uh, works across areas of criminal law, family law and civil law um, and we're a statewide service. Uh, we receive funding mostly from um, the Commonwealth Government underneath the uh, Indigenous Legal Assistance Program um, and that allows us to try and get um, as many legal services and also holistic client services to as many clients as possible which, um, as we know, isn't um, nearly enough as the demand is out there. We know we've, we have a representation of Aboriginal people in not just the criminal justice system, but also um, of children um, as uh, the subjects of, of uh, protection orders um, from the Department of Health and Human Services, um, and also over representation of Aboriginal women and children as victims of family violence. So... Um, we're trying to service an incredibly big need from, from the community and we do it in a way that brings together both um, legal expertise but also um, cultural safety and support. We know a lot of Aboriginal people want to get services from Aboriginal organisations because they don't have to explain who they are about their Aboriginality. They are not faced with racism or, or um, um, assumptions or, or stereotypes about what it means to be Aboriginal. Um, and we know that for a lot of people when they want to seek help, their um, experiences of racism um, and prejudice are what turn people away from, from getting further help. Definitely. And we can see those trends of racism coming out in our media in recent weeks as well, which is really concerning. Um, I know with this bill that we're talking about today um, that it's followed extensive work um, by Wardan, which is an Aboriginal-run organisation around criminal record discrimination. Yeah. another form um, of prejudice that um, Ab Aboriginal people are disproportionately affected by. Mm. Um, I know um, there's been uh, stories in the media, uh, particularly that of Tungarong man Uncle Larry Wash, mm. who's publicly revealed how the criminal record that he was given when he was two years old uh, has had devastating lifelong consequences for mm. him personally. Um, in this context, I mean, what does criminal record discrimination mean for members of Victoria's Aboriginal community, who many of them who are themselves respected elders and who wish to move on from their past and contribute meaningfully to the community? Yeah, well, for the people who are part of our stolen generation, um, yeah, who are now um, elders in our community, um, they've faced a lifelong, a, a life of, of discrimination for a whole host of reasons. And there was a report that came out just last week, I think, that spoke generally about the health, education and life, employment and life outcomes for stolen generations people as being seriously lower than, than not only the Aboriginal community but obviously the rest of, of Australian community. So the compounding factors of, of what happened to these children when they were removed from their families, not just from from their families, from culture... Um, and placed in completely foreign environments, whether that was with non-Aboriginal families or in um, in state institutions or you know, supposed care homes, and we know all about the the abuse that happened in a lot of those homes. Um, and then on top of that, to have this record of a, a criminal record of essentially being being found guilty of. of being neglected, I think, is the actual terminology on, on when you look at the actual um, the the court records. 
um, and to hear the stories of of elders like Uncle Larry Walsh and, and hear just how long that has impacted on people and, and it contributes to this idea of Aboriginal people being a criminal class or being you know, being treated as criminals and being treated deliberately differently. Um, and we know, you know, Stolen Generation was because the kids were Aboriginal and because, you know, of, of you know, policies and ideas around how we would, how the community would, would or government would, effectively breed out or assimilate Aboriginal people, not realising how strong our culture and identity is. Um, so, you know, for, you know, so let's say you're, you're a member of the Stolen Generation and you've you've survived as best you can and then you go to look for work or you go to, you know, get employment or go into education stuff and and you see, you find out that, you know, as, the, as people like Uncle Larry Walsh found out that they've got this criminal record that has them painted as a criminal from the age of two years old and and you know i've 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 you know you know heard how he talks about that and you know comments by magistrates you know around you know being a disgrace to your race and being you know a, um you know just being inherently criminal these sorts of comments are, are what stay with people and it prevents people from practically participating in in society and gaining work and employment and such um, but it also creates deep scars for people in their experiences and, and trying to move forward. Mm. Um, so, Mina, listing removal as um, from one's family as a criminal offence mm. uh, was occurred up until 1989 in Victoria. Mm. So for listeners at home that are um, thinking that this might affect them or know that this does affect them, what will happen now for those listeners with the passage of this new law? Yeah, so my understanding is that you'd need to apply to police to get... Um, the record um, will go through the legislation and, and apply to seek to have the record changed. Um, but that's a this legislation obviously applies for a very specific, uh, small, not more relatively small group of people. It's had a huge impact, but it is a very specific group of people. And um, in generally, Victoria, you know, part of War Dungan's work um, that you mentioned earlier, the great organisation War Dungan, is around looking at just generally how criminal records from you know many years past can disproportionately impact on Aboriginal people. Um, so the bigger argument about how do we address those issues as well. Mm. And, you know, it impacts in places like uh, becoming a kinship carer for, um, um, for, for for Aboriginal family members and such. So, you know, we don't have nearly enough Aboriginal family and kinship carers um, for our children in the out-of-home system. Um, and these are the sorts of things that, you know, people have maybe offended 10, 20 years ago, but it's still coming up on their record. That's the that's the potential risk. So, yes, this legislation change is a positive step, but it really does address one very small area area of a much bigger picture that we need to address. Definitely. Um, and I know that one of the other, uh, well, one criticism of the introduction of this new law as well is that um, it, it does address a very important and very specific injustice that's been done to Aboriginal people in Victoria but there is also a very specific provision in the new bill which says that no compensation will be available mm. for members who have um, been the subject of, of these unjust laws um, and I know that uh, when looking through what Val's is seeking from our candidates for the upcoming 2018 mm. state election, a really clear ask of them is a commitment to a redress scheme um, for those who've um, been members of the Stolen Generations. Yeah, and, um, you know, a lot of the work that Val's and other organisations did around 
in, for the you know the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse um, and and the redress scheme that's being developed now. You know, one of the big um, focuses obviously was on stolen generation and how you know again as I said before not just removal from family but the the disconnection from culture and not being able to speak language and, and learn who you are and what your identity is had a profound effect um, um, on children who are removed and still continues today you know we have such high rates of child removal um, in Victoria um, but we need a redress scheme that you know addresses those cultural needs as well as um, other abuses because we're really talking about cultural abuse in terms of children being removed. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's you know it, one of the things we found out about with um, was the cycle of you know abuse that happens in terms of children being, or sorry, a cycle of abuse, but a pattern of of. Um, of things that happen with children who are abused in these circumstances, who are disconnected from culture and community, who then go on to become offenders of some sort, um, not necessarily abusers themselves, but offending in some sort of way. And that's a whole scope of people that haven't been addressed or haven't been covered um, by redress, the redress scheme that's being proposed. So it's a concern because we have a very black and white view of... Um, uh, a very simplistic view of what it means to be someone who commits offences. And, you know, if we don't understand the individual as a whole, we can't really provide compensation and, and redress that truly addresses what their needs are. So there's a much broader picture than just, you know, we, we can't... You know, we're dealing with people who've gone through in ter terribly complex situations in their lives, terribly heartbreaking circumstances, and, um, you know, we seek to deny treating them as humans. And that contextual um, systemic approach to these kind of issues is so important given our history of colonialism and the way that Australia um, was founded and how, yeah. how um, we've, you know, that colonial nation of Australia has conducted itself in relation to its first peoples. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll go really quickly to a community service announcement and then we'll come back and talk a bit more with you, Mina, about, our, um, about Val's election asks. International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August. It is a day to raise awareness of overdose, reduce the stigma of drug-related death and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died. With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspectives from the fields of research, service delivery and, most importantly, peers in the community. CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project Scheme. 
and you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, and we're talking with Mina Singh, the Director of Legal and Client Services at Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, Mina, before we went to that announcement, you were talking a little bit about the um, lack of a redress scheme through these new laws, Could and we just sort of started to touch on um, Vals's key election asks. So maybe we'll start back there. Um, so what are some of Vals's key election asks in the lead-up to this upcoming election? Yeah, I think to cover them all off in one statement, I think you you look at the list of election asks that we've got and they're very much interconnected and that's what we try and always push with how we do our advocacy and our policy and, and how we address our work, um, that so much of this work is connected. So when we talk about, you know, when you come to a legal service when everything's gone terrible and um you know as 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 people working in a legal service running a legal service we see where things have gone wrong in people's lives so a lot of what our asks are, are addressing those things in a very holistic manner when people engage with a, a, a legal service like vels we've got sort of a finite time to engage with them for the length of the of the legal process particularly a criminal law process and it's a really specific opportunity to work with people and put very important things in place. And so what our election asks are really focusing on are how do we get those things put in place in a much broader sense? So um, so we've got things like um, we want to focus on prevention, diversion and rehabilitation as one as one focus. And it's it's funny to sort of talk about prevention and diversion in terms of or prevention in terms of say criminal law but we know that you know things like people's housing is is stable um that's a really that's that's half the battle you know if people have accommodation that can take them for when when they're applying for bail or when they get released from prison we know that that greatly reduces the risks of reoffending and and going back into prison um so you know we want programs that are culturally sensitive that are culturally based working with um our aboriginal community organizations so you know there's a plethora of of aboriginal organizations co-ops around the state that do fantastic work you know let's work with them let's find out what other services and such we need to get working to to plug the holes basically because it's when people fall through the holes and the gaps is when they start to engage with the criminal justice system and other and other areas of the law so um you know Similarly, we look at things like bail and remand. We've got really onerous bail laws at the moment that um, are unfairly targeting uh, Aboriginal community. Um, you know, and we have a really young community. I just read a statistic today from the um, the last um, census in 2016 that the median age for the Aboriginal community is 23 years of age. That's very young compared to 38 years of age for the non-Aboriginal community. So we have a majority of our community is young, yeah. younger. Can I ask why that is? Um, well, part of it goes towards... Um, I didn't get that far in the report, but <laughs> <laughs> part of it, I, I think, goes towards... Um, I, and I think this is the case for a lot of Indigenous communities around around the world, that our life expectancy mm. isn't... You know, our life expectancy is at least ten years younger, ten years less than non um, non Aboriginal people. So that raises a whole huge 
amount of issues in terms of really practical stuff like age of retirement or access to superannuation, but, you know, that's a whole other space, another radio show. But, um, you know, we've got a very young community and um, so when we see um, laws that impact on our children, um, we see that it affects disproportionately because we have so many more younger people in our community. So... um, we see things like bail and, and, and remand laws and um, impact on that, on our community really severely like that. Um, you know, mandatory sentencing. Um, really want to see a repeal of mandatory sentencing laws. Um, you know, there's been a lot of work with um, not only VALS but with many of the community legal centres working around um, how mandatory sentencing, the way it's set up in regards to emergency and service workers is is not going to achieve the outcomes that we want. Absolutely, we want to protect those workers, but mandatory sentencing isn't the way to do that. And again, you know, our responses go back towards the holistic approach. What are the mental health services that need to be put in place at the start for people to access? And you're going back to that point I said earlier about Aboriginal people wanting to use Aboriginal services and racism being an issue with with accessing services. You know, we're going to have people not calling the services that they need of police, of ambulance, of of a whole range of things, of mental, you know, cat teams, the whole range of things, um, because of, of the fear of what's going to play out. And we already know that lots of Aboriginal people don't call these services for fear of racism in the first place. So we've got this mm. double burden of I've got a family member who really needs help. I really, you know, I'm not coping with this situation. I'm unsafe. I need to call the police. But if I do, potentially my family member's going to be subject to a you know, mandatory sentencing when really what they need is some sort of help. So, um, And I guess you know, underpinning all of this is really just asking... You know, whoever is you know is is our is in government after the election, is to sit and talk with us and understand the work that we do, um, and to understand the impact how all these laws work um, disproportionately against many of our community, um, and in particular, the, you know, we're a vulnerable community collectively, but our young people are particularly vulnerable. Um, you know, we last year we established Balitnalu, which is. Um, Uh, our service that is specifically for Aboriginal children Um, and it deals with children who have um, criminal charges and children who are also in out-of-home care. Um, And we know the um, links between children who are placed in out-of-home care. We know that's much more prevalent for Aboriginal kids. Once they're in out-of-home care, moved away from family, connections to culture, we know that there's a much greater risk of them actually falling into offending behaviour whilst they're in out-of-home care. And so, you know, we have what you know what's often referred to as crossover kids, kids who are both in out-of-home care and so going through the family division of the children's court but also going through the criminal side. Um, so, you know, what Balintanaloo does is provides a culturally safe service and it also means that... Um, you know, we can... We deal with conflict of interest. Um, so, you know, often... Um, you know, if, if we perhaps represented another person in a, you know, an adult in a in a legal matter or something, we might be conflicted out of representing a child. And so, child protection proceedings, you know, everyone needs a, a representative in that proceeding. So, if we have acted for mum or dad in some case, then we can't act for the child. So, Balitnalu is the is not only the only Aboriginal service for children, but it's also the only service specifically for children in Victoria. Um, 
So one of our key elections asks is to help us to keep funding it, to keep it running, because it does provide such fantastic outcomes for our children as clients. Definitely. And I know that there's another proposed law that's currently before Parliament that also stands to really disproportionately affect Aboriginal children and young people, and that is the Justice Legislation Amendment Unlawful Association and Criminal Appeals Mm. Bill, um, more popularly known as the Anti-Association Laws um, look, I know um, there's been a, a lot of really great work in the media mm-hmm. um, highlighting the really dangerous potential implications of these laws to extend police powers and criminalise young people being caught with the wrong crowd and that it can affect children as young as 14 years old. Just briefly, bef- before we finish up today, what's the potential, uh, in your view, for these laws to have a negative impact on Aboriginal communities, given what we've just highlighted about the vulnerability of Aboriginal young people? Yeah, I think um, specifically, again, for, for, for Aboriginal children, we know that they're unfairly targeted. Um, we know that racial profiling goes on. Um, other people of colour in the community. We know what's been happening with African community and and we know the, the rhetoric that goes around in media um, of trying to sort of identify specific groups. It doesn't work so easy as that. And we know that a lot of the kids that we represent um, aren't, you know, are very quickly moving up. Um, you, you know, they're, they're not getting the opportunities that, that non-Aboriginal kids are in terms of, say, things like cautioning or diversion, all those sorts of things that keep kids away. But you know, we're talking about laws that are going to prevent people from associating with one another for the for for the purpose of just getting together and, and and being able to participate in community. And and that's a really important thing for Aboriginal community culturally. We get together. We we're with each other. Um, and and because of who we are, we're often publicly visible, and so that makes us stand out from community. But I think the really f- frightening thing about this legislation particularly in relation to children is that it's asking children you know they're younger than 18 they're between 14 and 18 we're asking them to effectively have the judgment and the knowledge of who they're with as if they're adults and I think so many of the problems that we have is that we expect our children to behave as adults and we don't stop and think that these are children they need our safeguards they need our protection they don't need us expecting um, things of them that you know, we wouldn't expect of someone in their 20s or their 30s. Definitely. Um, and finally, uh, if listeners want to know more about the Aboriginal Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and if anyone following today's interview would like some legal advice, yeah. where can they go? Yeah, um, so you can have a look at the uh, VALS website. So it's www.vals.org.au. Yep. And we're on Twitter. Uh, and we're on Facebook, so our Twitter handle is at the Vels Mob. Um, and yeah, our our land—I don't know our free call number off by heart, but our landline for um, to, to call and get in touch is nine four one eight five triple nine. And so, if anyone has any questions about the matters we've raised today or any other matters, please give us a call. Thanks so much, Mina. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. The time is 6.29. Stay tuned um, for, I think it's Voices of West Papua coming up next. Yes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.